As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Shamrock Bi-Week Edition. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by my co-host, Matt Fortuna. We were going to have um, Dan Orlovsky from ESPN, but decided too, uh, too good of hair to come on this podcast. So, too good of hair. He's way too big time for this. He's yeah, the most way too popular big. man at every level of football this week after Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo let him off the hook. As soon as Garoppolo walked out of the end zone, we knew we were going to have a hard time getting Dan uh, to recap <laughs> sort of calling Notre Dame's game against North Carolina. And we actually tried to record this last night, which was National Coffee Day, and there are a few people more caffeinated uh, on screen than Arlovsky, who I think does an awesome job, just so we're clear. But um, maybe we'll have him on sometime down the road when he's not so uh, in demand. I mean, the, the Garoppolo stuff, the Tua stuff from Thursday night, I mean, it's... If you think covering Notre Dame is exhausting, I can't imagine covering the NFL. And college. I mean, he's got God. NFL Live every day. He's doing Notre Dame, Carolina, and he has another college game every week. Uh, that is a very busy man. And, and I think, he, you know, obviously I'm biased. He's been a multi-time guest of the show. I think he's one of the best in the business. I really do. He, he's uh, He can break down film and, and convey it to the common man in ways that very few people in that business can. You, you would almost not know he was uh, an NFL quarterback. And I mean that, like, in a very complimentary way. Like, he's not, like... A meathead. He doesn't talk down to people. He's he's really really good. No, it's a, there's a gift to sort of convey very technical information in a way that people can digest and learn from it. Like it, which is like when we were about to record on Thursday night, I was watching some of the BYU Utah State game where Lewis Riddick was on. Like I would love for Lewis Riddick to do a Notre Dame game because I think he's he does the same thing as Orlovsky very well. Uh, and there was a tie in there because was, I was watching the game last night. They were talking about BYU's sort of running back tandem. And they put in a speed back named Miles Davis. No joke. Uh, <laughs> and Lewis Riddick said it reminded him of when he played against Notre Dame when he was at Pitt. When Notre Dame would rely on Ricky Waters for the first three quarters of the game and then put in Rocket Ishmael in the fourth quarter when the opposing defense was tired. So. I don't know if that says anything about BYU's uh, running game next so it week. Doesn't bode well for Notre Dame next yeah. week. That's if true. They're going against Ricky Waters and Rocket Ishmael, but I perhaps it's uh, hyperbole for the sake of his point. Um, but yeah, Riddick and Orlovsky. I mean, those are 
I think those are two of my favorite guys at ESPN in terms of the way they do information. And man, I I hope that I hope that at some point down the road, Riddick will do a Notre Dame game too because I think that he's super super talented. I agree. They need to start playing midweek games um, if that's going to happen. But yes, it's a little tricky on Saturdays. Day. Or get or, or get off NBC, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> ESPN uh, will pick up Notre Dame's contract and the announcers uh, to get Arlovsky and Riddick on a rotating basis. But Notre Dame, as all of our listeners know, off this weekend, BYU next weekend. Matt and I will both be there in Las Vegas. Um, I was going to show up Thursday, but a middle school play uh has altered my travel plans so i can be there on thursday night to see my daughter perform i'll miss friday's show because i gotta go to work but um we'll be there for that one it should be a pretty awesome see matt you've been to allegiance stadium i think for the what pac-12 championship game yeah last year the, the, it's, i mean it sounds incredible it was awesome um ended up being the, the last game of the mario Cristobal era at oregon which i did not think was going to happen at the time but uh no it was really cool um Probably not a good comparison because Notre Dame fans obviously travel extremely well and they have a national fan base. But like in that particular game, and I say this because Utah obviously is close to Vegas, uh, BYU fans close to Vegas. Um, that was, I'm not, last year at least, based on the schedule I, I had, that was the loudest venue I'd been in um, all year long. Like the state of Utah took over that entire stadium and it, it turned into a three-hour party because they ended up just kicking Oregon's ass from start to finish and winning the Pac-12 title uh but it was you know, you know for us press box it's high up but it's open air so you really feel like you're part of the action and hearing the sounds and it's just um it was really really cool it was really big it was really spacious um you know I was on the sideline the whole time pre-game there's a lot of, a lot of you know Got to see the Oregon Duck and all that other fun stuff. Maybe I'll see a leprechaun uh, next week. But it, it was fun. I mean, I I, um, I have not been to um, what are what's what do they call the new Rams one? Uh, SoFi Stadium. SoFi, yeah. Um, everyone says that's by far the best. The national title game is there this year. So when Notre Dame's in it, we'll both go and check it out then. But um, the Allegiant Stadium is very very cool, and it's like. You know, very. I mean, everything in Vegas is close, but it's it's close enough to the strip where you can stay pretty much anywhere in town and and get there um, pretty quickly. Yeah, I, and look, that game aside from the before and the after, which I think will be delightful, the during is going to be, I think, very informative of this season for Notre Dame and year one of Marcus Freeman. And it's like I think we're going to talk the bulk of the podcast about that, both in terms of like what happened in the first four games that we think is informative. Or predictive what happened that's you know kind of throwaway material and then like look ahead to the final eight games because man i it's been sort of i think if you said before the season well, this is my opinion at least like i thought notre dame 10 and 2 maybe 9 and 3 after the first game of the season i thought definitely 10 and 2 mm-hmm. you know 11 and 1 felt like a stretch but i felt more confident in 10 and 2 than i did before then after the second game you're like well, wait a minute are we at six and six after the third game, you're still sort of in that seven and five mode. But then after last weekend, I think you, I don't know, you, you sort of whipsaw back to like kind of an eight and four um, outlook. So it's, I don't, and I think the, the biggest thing for me, and this was like the first question in my mailbag this week was like, what did somebody asked? Like, what do you think Marcus Freeman has learned the most over the first month of the season? I think that, he would probably tell you he got the messaging wrong out of Ohio State for, I think, a number of very understandable reasons. Mm-hmm. First game, alma mater, 
charged environment, you play well enough to convince yourself that you had a chance to win the game, even though Ohio State clearly was better. So it's easy to think like maybe maybe you're farther ahead than you thought. So you can talk about finishing uh, post game. Then a week later, you lose to Marshall, and suddenly it's about okay, you got to start better. And then a week later, it's about after you beat Cal, it's you know about um, you know kind of more of the one play one life, um, you know playing with the weight of the world on your shoulders. And then after North Carolina, a week later, your message changed yet again a fourth time, and you're talking about preparation and how important that is. And I think that's probably where he will stay the rest of the year. It makes sense to have more of a process-driven message than a results-driven message. But that, to me, is I think, been the biggest takeaway of the first month is just that Marcus Freeman has needed time to grow into a head coach, aside from like when do you use your timeout? How do you manage the end of the half? Do you defer or receive whatever? Like... That stuff is fine, but I think it's much more setting the tone for the program itself. I think he's gone through a couple different versions of that in month one, but probably has settled on something that's healthy and sustainable the rest of the way. Yeah, I thought you answered that mail that question really well the way you just answered it now. I mean, it's it's you got to really pay attention the, the way you obviously have to to like try to get a sense of what he's trying to convey both publicly and to his guys, and and certainly. You know, that message, you know, reading between the lines has differentiated really game to game, dictated in large part by results. And I do think right. process oriented is the way to go. And that's something that like, you know, we, you know, we, we, we make our preseason pro- prognostications. We, we, we guess how this guy's going to fare as a head coach. Like that, that's when you talk about the unknowns, when Jack Swarbrick gets up there introducing him as the next head coach back in December, talking about the risk, like, yeah, we can see he's a great coach on defense. We can see he's an awesome recruiter. We can see that most of those players seem like they'd run through a brick wall for him. But, like, there's just so many um, peripheral and internal things that that come across your desk every single day that you, you just don't know about until you prepare for it. And I, I think you referenced this in your mailbag, but if you didn't, or even if you did, uh, I, I would uh, strongly encourage our readers to go back and um, read your story from the offseason talking to, you know, first year and second year head coaches about, you know, what they learned and what they, um, you know, how they adjusted the most. I mean, Dave Aranda is probably the perfect example of a guy who looked and granted he took over in the middle of a pandemic, but like, like he was so bad at Baylor. I think they were two and seven that year that you're like, wait a minute, did we have it wrong the whole time about this guy? Was he just part of good staffs with good players? And then he wins the freaking big 12, his second year with a bunch of players that were obviously good, but were not guys that were on, most of our radars coming into the year. So it's a process. I mean, we've talked a lot about the, you know, lower floor, higher ceiling kind of philosophy, so to speak with this hire. And we're seeing that we're seeing that play out right now. I did find it interesting, like to go back, uh, I wrote, you know, my cover four column this week, I did a a subhead looking at, and this was, I I was actually surprised. I ended up including Notre Dame in here. It just kind of worked out that way. I looked at as we close in on the first month of the season, um, some preseason over under win totals for teams and teams that like are mm. already cashing out or are already not going to cash out um, based on four games of play. And Notre Dame's on BetMGM was nine and a half, which surprised me. Um, I feel like I remember it being closer to eight, uh, but it was nine and a half, which means they need to win out. <laughs> and by winning out, that would mean winning 10 straight games overall for over betters to actually cash on. And uh, <laughs> Crazier things have happened, but it's not looking too good right now. Yeah, if you eight, had uh, money on the on the yeah, Irish right. preseason to win ten yeah, games, eight, but like eight straight from I your thought, ten straight overall. 
I mean, I, I probably would have had preseason nine and th- like that. That would be a no play for me, right? Like, I just again, new head coach, much tougher schedule right. than um, you know they had had in years past. I, I probably would have guessed in the nine range. You know, breaks go their way ten or eleven if they don't eight and four. We'll see what happens from here on out, but it, it's certainly been a roller coaster of a uh, first month of the season, and you know, the rare instance where. You know, I think one of the great things about independent being independent is essentially getting to dictate your own schedule structure and the bye weeks, which are almost always coinciding around midterms week or right. between the fifth and six or sixth and seventh game of the season. And in this case, it's not. And in this case, you're coming out of the bye with eight games in eight weeks against a pretty strong slate of opponents um, with still, frankly, a lot of questions about your football team. So buckle up it should be exciting if nothing else following along this program over october yeah. and november uh if we had to pick mvps of offense defense and special teams through four games who you got okay so i i well i'll let yours first i had a couple different prompts i was going to throw back at you okay all right M- mvps of offense defense special teams okay um mayor offense i know right. it's like, it's, the numbers probably aren't what we thought they'd be but he's still by far their best player um defense This is me off the top of my head, not looking at stats. I almost want to say either Maris Leofau or Jason Adamalola. I just feel like those guys have been pretty big impact players defensively so far. Not that Foskey hasn't, but I, I just expected Foskey's, you know, to like, the, the talk from NFL scouts and, and opposing coaches on him. Anytime I called him up in this offseason was like, yeah, this guy's going to play himself into a top 10 pick this year. If he has the kind of season, like he came back to do that. And, He's been fine, but I wouldn't say he's right. been on anyone's radars in that regard so far. Special teams, um, I'll go Brandon Joseph. I mean, he's, he actually returns punts. Um, he hasn't turned any over. Um, Breath of fresh a, air. He's a three. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> baby steps, but like it's been incremental progress. I, I am like watching. I find myself watching and paying closer attention when he's back there mm. um, now than I did in years past, whereas it's like, all right. Bear catch, where are they going to start? Um, so I guess in that regard. I will say special teams as a whole, and we'll get to this a little bit, as a whole has been a pleasant surprise for me. Um, I agree. So yeah. far this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Only because I'm trying to add some diversity to the conversation, I won't pick Mayer on offense because clearly he's like the MVP. Um, but I think sort of Jared Patterson's return to form coinciding with the offensive line playing better, I don't think is a coincidence at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, week one, he doesn't play. The line can't really do anything. 
week two, he does play the line was really a shambles. Um, and as he has gotten healthier, as he has been able to sort of bring Zeke Carell along, um, help Joe all just sort of help the position in general. I think that that is, um, you're seeing the dividends pay off of that. Um, and so like if a left guard is your MVP, that's a little bit weird, but even if your left guard is like your second choice MVP after your tight end, I mean, that's a weird combination. Um, not one that is indicative of explosive offense, but Notre Dame is where Notre Dame is. So I'll go Patterson just because I think he's sort of a, a representative and a symbol of like the offensive line rounding into form as he has rounded into form. Defense to me, I, I thought it was actually easy choice. Tariq Bracey, uh, as the nickel has been, he leads the team or leads the defense and snaps by a wide margin. I think he's been incredibly productive, had a, a couple rough goes with uh, Josh Downs last weekend, who hasn't, but other than that, I, I think he's been outstanding. And like the, the fact that Notre Dame was the way Al Golden has used him to like really, I think, bring out the best in him as a player, Mike Mickens as well. There's some credit there for really like it's a fifth year that I don't know if it will finish this way, but like in my 22 years covering like Jonas Gray was like this, mm-hmm. uh, Corey Mays was like this. Guys who were like as fifth year seniors, like Javon McKinley to a McKinley, certain extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like guys who were just here for four years, but didn't really Dexter, do a whole Williams. lot. Yeah, Dexter Williams. Like Dexter Williams, at least you got flashes of it in sure. twenty in twenty seventeen before then he got suspended. But um it's it's very rare that you have guys who sort of float through a program for four sure. years and then boom, the light goes on as in as senior or fifth year seniors and they really have it. So that's been impressive to me. I mean, John Sott, the punter, Harvard grad transfer. Um, when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, he said Brian Pullian actually reached out to him. So that was like sort of in the works at least a little bit before Brian Mason came on. But I mean, I think overall, like Brian Mason's special teams have been impressive because I mean, you think back to week one where Marcus Freeman, I think it was one of the first things he mentioned. It was like, our kickoff return was bad. Like that needs to get a lot better. And I think that that unit has those units across the board really have buttoned up quite a bit. You had the big block punt against Marshall, which almost put Notre Dame in position to, to come back and avoid a loss there. Um, you know, they haven't really necessarily broken big returns, but I think they've been extremely competent and efficient in what they're doing. And I think you, know, you look back at where things were in the summer where like, John Sott, can he punt? Blake Groupie, that operation looked a little sort of mm-hmm. all over the board. So we got to shout uh, out Milk if we're giving out an MVP. Yeah, for, Milk. Uh, I mean, it's that was <laughs> one of the things Sott, Sott said. Like as, as soon as I got to work with Milk, like everything was good. So I just think like that for Notre Dame special teams to get to a point this quickly where just like these are good units. Um, these are sort of value adds to like whether Notre Dame wins or loses, and it's pretty obvious. Like. Uh, I think Brian Mason has done a really nice job out of the gate. Yeah, so I, I, my prompts, first one is going to be the biggest surprise of the year, and I have Bracey down for that. Um, third in tackles for loss as well on the roster, which is – He led the team surprise. for, uh, I think, the first three weeks, Just like not how that's supposed to work. But. No. Um, you'll probably have the same answer I do, but, but most impressive freshman. Ooh, um, most impressive freshman. I'm, why am I 
can't remember. Why am I blanking on this? Plays a similar position to Tariq Bracy. Oh, yeah. Benjamin Morrison, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, yeah, sorry. Apologies to the Morrison family on that one. Um, <laughs> I think you and I both talked to people who didn't just compliment Morrison going into the but season. The quote we got was what? Best corner best we've quarter recruited we signed in 10 years. In 10 years. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. okay, um, I guess we'll see about that. But yeah. I mean, he has been he's been outstanding. Um, you can sort of see where that's going, uh, you know. And I think that we we also had talked about in this podcast that, you know, for how good Jaden Mickey was in the spring, fall camp was a struggle. Um, he sort of like it was a baptism by fire that he didn't get in March and April. So I think you and you've seen that out there, whether that be at Ohio State or even last week at North Carolina. But I think Morrison is. Yeah, he's been tremendous. There's, and it's not like there's a whole lot of candidates. Like, it would be great if we could say Tobias Merriweather, but, mm-hmm. you know, he hasn't really been out there a whole lot. Um, you know, Eli Raritan, especially with Kevin Bauman gone for the year, is probably going to move into more of a a prominent role. Um, but, the, yeah, there just aren't a whole lot of options uh, for freshman of the year. I don't know if there's... I'm trying to think if, you know, like, Junior Tui Halamaka has played a little bit more. Um, I think he'll be good long-term, but... This this was this roster is not set up for a freshman to really answer the call unless it's going to be Merriweather, which is sort of who Notre Dame needs it to be over the last eight weeks of the year. Uh, since we're uh, we'll stick with the Vegas theme, we'll go over under here. I've got a few for you. Over under Drew Pine season passing yards twenty five hundred yards. Hmm. He's at 459 now. So, but basically 2,000 more yards spread across eight games. We can, can include both. If, if you think it, that, I'm going to leave it open ended because, like, it's, it is up for debate. So, like, yeah, will he get it or will he not? And I think they will go to a bowl game. Games. I think he will be over that figure, but that's a good line. You should work in Vegas. Are you on a gambling <laughs> show, by the way? You should be on a gambling show. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I've got over. Um, it, it's if you do it just on pure math, it might not look that doable. But let's be honest, there's going to be a game, if not games, where they're playing from behind. And he's just going to have to throw it a lot um, and, and get yardage doing it that way. Um, I, I think it's that's only one two, like 222 yards per game over nine games. It's right. It's not that much. It it's looks not a like huge a big number. number. Um, and you, you know, you factor in the ninth game. I, I think he'll get over, but yeah, that's, that's a good prompt. You're right. Um, here's one yourself you. on the back, Matt. Uh, Michael Mayer, 75 catches. He's at 22 through four games over. I, I it's that to me, that's a, that's a, that's a bad line. Matt. I think you're, you're going to get so? too much action. on We'll the see. Over we, right we'll now. come back to this at the end of the year. Um, write these I, down. I, I, I think over, but I think it's not as like, hit you over the head obvious as would have been preseason when we said that, like it, at some point and you tweet this every game, it seems like, how do you leave Michael Mayer open in the red zone? Like at some point defense is going to realize, Oh wait, this guy's significantly better than every other person on the field and no one else in the air has proven they can really do anything to us yet. Let's just not let this guy beat us. So um, I'll go over, but I, I think that's a better line than you're giving it credit for. <laughs> this one's good. Actually, maybe it's not good, but it's it's a good prompt. Wide re- touchdown catches by wide receivers this year, eight. 
And we're they have one at right one now. through four <laughs> games. Can they average one a game the rest of the season? Less than one. Oh, less than one. If you oh, even if they game. don't make a ball, like no, but even if they don't make, I mean, it's eight games to get seven to tie it. So yeah, one one to yeah. break it. Yeah, I will go. I will go over on that one as well. But I'm I'm reluctant <laughs> to do so. I feel like at the beginning of the year, I thought Lorenzo Styles would have ten on his own. And he's sitting there at one. He's the only one. But I, man, but then it's like you factor in Mayer, who's probably going to be good for 15 or 12. And the running backs, probably good for 10 spread among the three of them. Is Pine really going to have 30 touchdown catches? Because if Mayer had 10, the running backs had 10, then you, ha- you need Pine to have, you need the receivers to have eight for him to have 28 touchdown catches, which is a big number, right? Like, the idea of Drew Pine having 28 to 30 touchdown catches feels like a reach, but that's what you would need for the wide receiver position only to finish eight. So maybe, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to turn this around. I think this is a good prompt and I'm going to go <laughs> under on this one because Mayer and Tyree and Estime and Diggs are going to carry the load. We're, we're in agreement on all three so far. I've got under as well. It shouldn't be under, but like, it's hard to like game out a scenario like maybe like there's a game where you know they play Navy and uh, Braden Lindsay has a breakout game and happens to catch three touchdowns. Like I, it's going to take a day like that from someone to like push them over the edge. Yeah, um, because the way this offense is moving right now, it's hard to like picture that happening seven or eight more times. Um, Audric SMA yards from scrimmage one thousand. He's at What's 300, he? 307 combined rushing receiver right now. Hmm. I'm going to go under on that one. I, even though I will be, I want the over to happen just because that means he'll come in for more interviews. <laughs> um, so estimate 1K rushing receiving. I'm, I'll go under on that one on the strength of Tyree and Diggs. Like I think it says more about Tyree and Diggs yeah. than it does about estimate. Uh, I'll go under as well for all the reasons you just said, which puts us in a perfect four for four agreement right now. Uh, he's an awesome interview. He's an awesome player. I not think, a good singer uh, though. Th- th- not a good singer. Uh, what, what, oh, uh, that was on uh, what the, the bon tiny Jovi mic thing? with Litchfield Ashwan. Did you ever see that? No, it, they did Bon Jovi uh, prompts when he came to. No, it practice, was it was but, so it was last year. Last uh, year, um, they had Litchfield Ashwan going around to the freshman asking him if they could sing the fight song, and when he got to estimate. Estime thought the fight song was the Here Come the Irish. Like that, that I, I can't remember the singer's name, but you know, it's just a kind of more of a folk. Oh, the, 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 the pregame one, a kickoff. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to sing it into this podcast. But yeah, like, no, don't. If you're listening, but... <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> yeah, the yeah, Here yeah. Comes the Irish thing. So he thought that was the fight song. Mm, and he also, thought, <laughs> he also thought the fight song at the end of Here Come the Irish included the dun dun. Don't ship it up. Ship yeah, up to Boston, right? I think the right. the first few bars of that. So, like, he thought that was the victory march, which uh, sort of endeared him to me forever. No, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, what well, doesn't mean he's a bad singer? Um, no, no. When he sung "Here Come the Irish," it meant he was a bad singer. Uh, it was, yeah, no, it was, yeah, yeah. It was really bad. Picture him. I'm gonna have to find other, this and send it to you. I don't want to picture anyone other than the person who actually sings that song, singing that song. Uh, yeah, he's a great quote. Guess he's not a good singer. Um, I'll forgive him for not knowing the fight song as a freshman. 
Uh, I will go under, though, because I just think, you know, when you saw the way they were able to use those backs and have success against North Carolina, I'm not saying every game will be that easy offensively, but I do think they found something to work with as far as uh, we've got three pretty damn good options back here. Last one, and this one I, I kind of just, like, picked a number. Um, turnovers forced, 12.5 over under. They have one right now. They had 25 last year. They finished tied for 11th in the country. Mm. I feel like we, we have to finish on opposite sides of this one. So if you, <laughs> what, wherever you choose, I'll choose I the opposite. I you first. I'm Just asking so we, questions here. Okay. Um, 20, 25 last year, and you're saying yeah. 12 this year. 12 and a half, yeah. 12 and a half. Um, man, 12 and a half. I will go over on that one. Good, because I want to go under. Okay. Because 12 would have finished 119th last year. Mm, it's better than they are right now. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, 113th. Um, all right. So turnovers forced 12. I'm over. You're under. That's what it's all riding on the rest of the year. Pretty much. Although it- I'll take a victory lap if Mayer finishes under 75 just because you insulted the line. Um, yeah, that your I line will go over it. Um, um, yeah, he's going to crush that. So it, it, he uh, should crush it. This will have to be paid out. Perhaps I mean, perhaps it'll get paid out uh, before the uh, Holiday Bowl if Notre Dame's playing in that because you're going to have to talk your way into covering that game in San Diego. That, yeah, no uh, problem. Yeah. I have family lives in Southern California now. I never need an excuse oh, to go back right. out there. Okay. Um, I will. I'll be there then. Uh, that'll be fun. Who are they gonna play in that game? Iowa, maybe that'd be fun. That wouldn't be fun, but Ooh, it would be yeah, like, no. entertaining. Uh, <laughs> nice place to be. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I was looking at uh, ACC bowl tie-ins today because I wanted to figure out what the date of uh, Notre Dame's potential bowl date is. I think they're pretty much all on December thirtieth. Um, once you take the what playoff day of the week is that? Uh, for, I don't know. It's. It uh, what's the week? December to Friday, so mm-hmm. a weekend a week in San Diego. Fly out the day after Christmas. Not bad. I think it could be done. It could be done. Gator Bowl, Sun Bowl, Mayo Bowl. Uh, oh, the the Holiday Bowl is actually on the twenty eighth, so even better. Um, there you go. So there's Holiday there's, Bowl sounds so much better than everything you just said. The pinstripe Nothing bowl, Florida, but yeah, no. I'll take it. I said as a Yankee fan, the, uh, I'll take Petco Park, which still hasn't hosted a football game yet. They were supposed to last year, and oh. UCLA pulled okay. out at the last minute Lovely. against NC State. Um, All right. What about uh, – because I wanted to go there game by game the rest of the season, uh, wins, I wins, re- and, I, I wins and losses. Okay. See, I, yeah, you're a little more detailed than I am. I, uh, I had a record – I'm still not sure how they. Well, I'm going to force there. you to go. I'm going to force you to go game by game, and then we'll add up your record to see if it matches what you actually wrote. Down. Oh, let me. You, you go first because I need to like. Because you obviously okay. thought this out, and I need to like match my number right. to the wins losses. BYU, I think they will win next week. I think BYU is fine. I don't think BYU is great. I also think BYU is sort of a decent matchup for Notre Dame as it's currently constructed because it's not a shootout offense. Um, and I think Notre Dame, if Notre Dame's lines were playing like they did against Cal, I would pick a loss. But I think the second half of Cal and the entire North Carolina game should travel to Las Vegas. And that now that you've eliminated the chance of Drew Pine being overwhelmed by the moment, 
um, from game plans for if you're Tommy Reese. I think that I don't. I just don't think BYU is that good. Um, I think they're fine, but yeah, I think I'm, their names lines will get get them over the get that done next week. I'm I'm less sold on BYU right now than I was entering the season. Yeah, I just, we, I, they're yeah. I mean, just like their defensive front, I just don't think is. I was expecting it to be a little bit more like Harbaugh Stanford in terms of ass kicking, and it's not at all. Um, so I think Notre Dame will be fine. All right, Stanford. Um, oh, we're doing both of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Notre Dame, BYU. I'll take them to be. I mean, they better beat Stanford. I mean, Stanford's. You know, th- that offense has shown a little bit of life this year. I mean, if you watch that USC game, like they moved the ball extremely well. They just kept turning it over in the red zone. Um, so I don't think it's like the, the cupcake uh, it's been the last couple of years, but um, no, nah, I've got another name in that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, Stanford has some injury issues. I realize yep. they're, they're still very talented with Tanner McKee, at quarterback, but EJ Smith's out for the year. Uh, they don't have a whole lot, I think, on the outside for Notre Dame to be concerned with. And like it's not it's not a super dynamic offense either that's going to stress Notre Dame the way that like you know they ran the, the slow like, mesh extremely well in a way like I've never yeah. even seen someone try the slow mesh other than wait, because it's obviously more complicated than it looks. And we saw Miami mm-hmm. three players run into each other trying to do it last week, but um uh, it's it's not like installing the option in one off season like Charlie Weiss tried to do in two thousand seven. Like it takes years to master. It's another two thousand seven reference um, yeah. on this podcast. That's not good. I just like you know EJ Smith is out. Um, I don't think that it's not the days of um, you know where they have tight ends running around that are all NFL guys sure. like Notre Dame has. And like, if you're going to beat Notre Dame, I think you're going to probably beat them laterally more than you're going to beat them vertically the way Marshall did it. Like Marshall did an awesome job exposing Notre Dame on the perimeter. And I don't like Marshall. Had a, Marshall's been terrible ever since that game. Yeah, the yeah, like, they, I don't know if we've mentioned stunk. that enough. Um, like it, that game made zero sense in real time and it makes even less sense ever since. It's kind of yeah, like the which, South Florida game in uh, 2011. Uh, so I, I just think that that's, Stanford has come down a long, long way, and I don't think that they're going to sort of snap back to it on an October night in South Bend. Right. Um, especially like, look, Stanford beat Colgate, hooray! Then they lose to USC. <laughs> they get pretty soundly beat by Washington. They play Oregon this weekend at Oregon, and then they go they host Oregon State, who's really good. Um, yeah, they're good. And then they're at Notre Dame, so it's like. Stanford, more likely than not, is going to be sitting there at one and five in mid-November. Um, the program is just not in good shape right now. It's not. It's you know there are a lot of parallels I think between what's what they did and what they're doing um, with their peer institution Northwestern, with what they mm-hmm. did and what they're doing right now. Not a whole lot of inspiration coming out of either of those locales right now. Uh, nice stadium though, good. coming to Northwestern. Yeah, there's a nice stadium coming here. We'll we'll have to go to a concert at some point. Yeah, um, with our our our, our, our invisible guests on post game pods can uh, can uh, hook it up for us with Live Nation. Um, but yeah, those those renderings look pretty cool, and I'm excited to go up to Ryan Field for something other than like 
whatever it is they've got there now. But uh, UNLV is. Oh, sorry, you have some more. I was going to say Ryan Field was my third favorite high school stadium in the Big Ten. Um, UNLV. What's your your first? (laughs) No, I don't have any. UNLV a win. I don't have any more to say. That that is a unfortunately much like Marshall is like kind of a Mm. what are we even doing here type of game. Uh, If Notre Dame loses, they're not bad, Pete. No, they're not not saying they're going to win, but like it's they're not not a doormat program. Like no, you know, I think they're three and one. and they play, I think, two straight Friday night games here coming they lost up. Lost to Cal by six. They beat North Texas by thirty-one, and they beat Utah State, who, as we mentioned earlier, is terrible. Uh, but almost beat 10. BYU, or at least yeah. gave gave BYU a game. Yeah, um, and they've got. Yeah, I, I, they're they're not like UNLV has long been one of the worst programs period in the country. They are not that anymore. Um, I mean, I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame, but like, I don't think that's the like cakewalk that we envision preseason. No, I'm totally in agreement on that one. All right, Syracuse, which looks to me a lot different now than it did in July, as not not a game I even considered as a loss in the I don't know in the off season. Now it's like it's it's. It, it has some very trap qualities to it, does it not? I mean, it's so, the week. Well, I the thought week, it if it wasn't tra- the week before Clemson, the week before Clemson part is what probably scares me most about Syracuse. Well, I, I thought that was that trap qualities preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't like think Notre Dame was going to lose it preseason, but like when's the last time they actually played at the Carrier Dome? They played all these Syracuse games at 2003. Yeah, long time ago. Uh, it's like not McNabb long ago, but close to it. Um, they're not like even last year. I know they missed the bowl, but like you know, they were five and seven. They have a pretty dynamic offense. I think they're even more dynamic now since they you know reshuffled their offensive coaching staff a little bit. Um, after two games this season, I thought, man, Syracuse is really freaking good. Now they are four and zero. They'll be five and zero after playing Wagner this weekend. Um, another team, by the way, that uh, will beat their over under win total in the soonest time possible. I think it was four and a half. Uh, good for you, Dino Babers. Uh, this is one I, I think. Like right now, I, I'll take Syracuse. Um, and I don't. I, I think they've kind of regressed a little bit the last couple of weeks to the mean. Like Virginia had them at, at the end. Purdue completely had them at the end. Um, they're they're lucky to be four zero right now and not two and two. But that's a really tricky place to play. It's a week before Clemson. Um, you know that offense is pretty dynamic. Sean Tucker is one of the best running backs in the country, even if the stats may not show that right now. Um, Right now, I'd say here, I, I I will go with Syracuse. That you know, it's it's interesting because it's the week after Clemson for Syracuse, right? And there, it's Notre Dame is the midpoint of really a a brutal five game right. stretch. Which, like, there are not a lot of brutal five game stretches if you're an ACC team in <laughs> conference play. But NC State week later at Clemson, week later host Notre Dame. After that, you're at Pittsburgh, then home to Florida state. And then you're at wake forest without a bye week in between. That's six games in six weeks. Um, I would think if I'm Syracuse, I'm sort of like downshifting the importance of Notre Dame a little bit, which I think removes maybe some of the trap qualities to it. Cause like Notre Dame is the least, it's the least important of those five games to Syracuse. Um, you know, it, I it mean, may be, if they're an a, ACC contender, it is. But like, I don't think they'll be an ACC contender. 
No, but I mean, they will at least, they'll probably still be an ACC contender at feel like they're one. They are one at two and two. Um, and if they get, if they get NC state or Clemson, which I, I don't think they're going to they play Clemson really well. I mean, yeah. I don't think and they, hit, they get, they, they get well. NC state the week after the NC state Clemson game. Like would it, would it shock you if NC state went to the carrier dome or whatever it's called now and lost to Syracuse? It, that J- wouldn't surprise J M a wireless put some respect on it. Yeah. You know, it's been that, a while. Pete. That uh, wouldn't surprise me. Like I, I would be less surprised if NC state beat NC state or I'm sorry, if Syracuse beat NC state than I would if, and if Syracuse beat Notre Dame. So I think that's fair. Just knowing the history, the recent history of, both programs and one of their ability to kind yeah. of step in it more than the other. But I mean, right, so, th- th- that's, that's a swing game. Like I mean, I'll tell you right now, I mean, this is going to ru- ruin the surprise of who you think I'm going to pick in Notre Dame, Boston college and Notre Dame Navy. But like I had seven, five as my record, but c- go forward. Okay. Clemson, <laughs> uh, as good as Notre Dame's offensive line has been over the last six, five and a half quarters. Um, Clemson's defensive line is, no joke. And I think that's their secondary that's, is, but Notre Dame can't make them pay with that. Yeah. I just don't think Drew Pine and Sam Hartman have a whole lot in common. Um, and so they're, they're news, newsboy caps. Did you not see my tweet? That's true. <laughs> they do have something in common, sort of their uh, peaky blinders vibes. And so, his sister's at wake right now. I believe. Yeah, interesting. So I have a hard time seeing Drew Pine having enough time to be comfortable and spray the ball all over the place. I also have a hard time seeing Notre Dame running the ball effectively on Clemson. And I did not think I would get to a point where DJ Uyungle would be an asset for Clemson as I analyze this game, but he was the first time <laughs> he's moving in a good, yeah, it's a, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that makes as much sense as Notre Dame losing to Marshall. Um, but I think <sighs> he, he's above, he is more than a competent quarterback at this point, And he's bigger than Notre Dame's linebackers. So I think Clemson will get Notre Dame and, I guess that would snap a six-game win streak for Notre Dame after that. So they'd be sitting there at uh, six and three. According to you, would have been a five-game win streak for me. Um, (laughs) The fact that, like, I'm sure all of us have had some version of this conversation in the offseason looking ahead to the season. The fact that we're now – talking about DJU the way you just did. And it's not, well, who will even start a quarterback for Clemson that game, I think is pretty noteworthy. Like, I mean, look, the guy could go out and lay a leg, lay an egg against NC state tomorrow. And we're back having that same conversation, but he made some freaking big time throws in that wake forest game. And he had every damn one of them to, to escape that thing. Victorious. I don't know if he's, there was a, a Twitter clip going around this week of, I think it was the first overtime touchdown pass he threw. And like, it was from shot from the angle of the receiver and like the Wake defensive lineman literally has DJ's leg completely wrapped up, and you just see him like dragging him with one leg as he fires off a touchdown pass. I mean, Notre Dame fans know how good he can be. Uh, we all saw that two years ago. Uh, you know, if, if he can repeat that, man, it'll be hard to, to find a guy who's like had a better career at Notre Dame Stadium, <laughs> who's not even on your schedule regularly than, than yep. that guy, even though he did lose that first game. Um, I don't know, Clemson, they got to get that secondary in order, but I don't think that really affects Notre Dame, frankly, with the way Notre Dame's thrown the ball so far. No. It, I mean, we'll find out plenty about – I think we learned quite a bit about Clemson last week. They play NC State yeah. on Saturday. Uh, so by the time you listen to this podcast, we might have a different opinion of Clemson. But then they, they've got a game at Florida State on October 15th, which 
I think when the year started, it was like, whatever, they'll just sure. roll through there. But I mean, that, that's interesting too. Um, and then they, they host Syracuse before coming to Notre Dame or before a week off and then coming to Notre Dame. Navy and Boston College, can we just do those together? I don't know if we need to analyze a whole lot. Like, will Phil Dracovic even be upright at that point, the way Boston College's <laughs> offensive line has played? I don't know. It's, that's it, pro- it's Yeah, it's bad there. I mean, yeah, they did lose both starting tackles for the year, I believe. But, boy, I mean, again, this could change by the time you hear this. They are more than two touchdown underdogs at home against Louisville on Saturday. Like, that's the state of things right now. It got really bad really quick. And I thought this was going to be a bit of a transition year for them from a roster depth standpoint. Uh, but it's it's bad. And when you lose at home to Rutgers to open things up and you lose one of the one, few ones you're supposed to get, I think that just kind of has this spiraling effect on you. And, um, yeah, that's not <laughs> – when Notre Dame was 0-2, it's like, oh, man, it's going to be really ugly for them if Phil comes in and – beats them in two months. Um, that's, I just, I can't see that happening with the way VCs played this year. No, they've allowed go. 15 sacks. John, John McNulty's return, games. by the way, and George, uh, George Tackett, who's like, might be there. Well, no, Zay Plower's still there, but he's, he's made some plays for them this year. I know that. Yeah. It's not a, not a good matchup uh, for Phil Dracovic. I mean, I was just looking over like the worst offensive lines in the country in terms of sacks allowed Boston college at 127. And then you move up, you see Syracuse at 118, UNLV at 118, Stanford at 118. Syracuse won't surprise me. Yeah. So three, that three don't. That could be. Well, didn't you write the Tommy DeVito, like Illinois quarterback? Yeah. Like, this is the first time I've ever been sacked in a game. Um, I think that's sort of where Notre Dame's defensive line rises to the occasion a little bit. Um, but. Probably not against, uh, maybe not against Clemson. That gets us to USC, which I feel like is kind of a the perception generating power of this game will last probably nine months, um, win or lose. I do not have a good read on USC at all. I've watched a little bit of them. When I saw, when I watched their game at Oregon State, they were god awful. Um, to win a game by three points, when your plus four and turnover margin is actually really difficult to do. Oh, yeah. um, but they did it. And, you know, they played well offensively against Stanford, not defensively. I just think that USC is a bit of a mess right now. I, You're I, go, you go first. Go. They're fascinating to me, but I'll, I'll they are there for me as well. Uh, I'm really torn on this one. Really? I am. I am. I, so, I feel like I could talk myself into either result. Um, you think so? You you're you're more confident in USC beating Notre Dame than I am, and I'm not saying Absolutely. I'm confident in Notre Dame winning the game. I just have a I hard mean, time reconciling USC being sort of like a and like they may look a lot different on Thanksgiving weekend than they do on September or October first, right? That that's the thing with that, that's why partly why they're so fascinating to me. I mean, at their best, like when things are clicking, damn, they look really freaking good. They look like Lincoln Riley's been coaching those guys for longer than just a few months. Um, we talked about Notre Dame having just one forced turnover on the year. USC has forced 14 and they haven't given one up yet. Like that's not sustainable, but it's still pretty freaking crazy to like even get this far into your season and be 14-0 turnovers wise. That's insane. Yeah. Um, but to your point, I mean like, yeah, they've given up a lot of yardage. They've made some timely defensive plays, particularly in that Stanford in Oregon state game. I will say like Caleb Williams for just a sophomore, 
Um, and we've seen different versions of this game, you know, for years on end where uh, the more talented team is pretty much getting its ass kicked for three quarters, but there's a door left open for them at the end there and they take advantage of it. Like he marched those guys down on that final drive. And I saw that on my illegal stream, uh, Pac-12 network uh, game uh, 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 viewing Saturday night. And like that money throw to Jordan, I think it was Addison to, to win the game was like, it's one of those throws you watch on TV and you're like, no, 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 no. Cause it looks like it's going to get picked. And then you see the replay and you're like, Oh my God, he just put that ball in like the perfect spot. It was like, no one could have caught that other than Addison. Uh, like that guy is cool, common collector. I know he's been hyped up a lot, um, but he's lived up to it so far. And you look at that schedule, obviously the trip to Utah on October uh, 15th is tough, but they've got Arizona state and Washington state at home next. Um, I think Washington State's pretty good, but they're much better at home than they are on the road. Then they go at Arizona versus California versus Colorado at UCLA, which will probably be more Trojans fans there than Bruins, and then Notre Dame. I, again, they, they're like their front line top 22 or as damn near as good as anyone in the country. I don't know how deep they'll be, how much they'll have to tap into that depth by game number 12. But you look at that schedule – and Utah is the only team I see on there that that's going to beat them, or that I think will beat them. And if we're talking about ten and one USC going into that Notre Dame game, and with the presumably a Pac-12 title game a week after, we're like we're talking about USC wins and they're playoff bound, or they lose because Notre Dame spoiled them, and like that just makes that game. And I get this is not probably the way Notre Dame fans envisioned it two months ago. Like we're going to play spoiler in our final game. But, like, that absolutely adds to the stakes of this rivalry game. And, frankly, when's the last time there were stakes with Notre Dame-USC from a national standpoint? For, for both teams. Yeah, for both teams, it's been a while. Because, like, they, it's it's a really bizarre series. I don't have the stats off the top of my head. But, like, the number of times it's they've both been ranked is, is surprisingly low. Um, usually when one program is up, the other program is down. Right. Uh, you know, in the 80s, it was Notre Dame up, USC down. Which is weird because it's not like these are in-state rivals who are like, no, oh, they no. can't recruit because this team's got one like, doesn't affect no. the other. <laughs> um, you know, it's like there there are very few exceptions where they've both been top 20 or or top 10 teams. You know, it's, it's interesting the way you talk about like November with like who knows what USC is going to look like by then because I thought it about it in terms of more of them getting better, not them getting injured. But so it, that makes it difficult to know like all right, which one, which path are they going to take? Because it seems like something where you can't do both, right? Like if you're going to get injured, well, just, you're not going to get better. But I if you stay healthy, like, you'll survive. And then you should be really firing at the end of the year. We've seen that often. So like, I don't know how much like, at its best. And I know it was against, you know, Rice, Fresno State and Stanford. But I don't know if they have a whole other level to get to offensively. Like it was pretty damn good yeah, in those three point. games. And they were able to survive the one game it wasn't on the strength of a defense that, again, I haven't been exactly blown away by this year. And I don't think, like, you're not going to, what, 14 turnovers or four games, whatever that projects out to, like, that's not going to. Yeah, I just looked itself. at that. So that's a, a your plus three and a half turnovers per game. Per game, yeah. Like, at in some the last, point. In the last 10 years, do you know how many teams have finished plus two for a season? Uh, zero. One. Alabama 16. That's my guess. Uh, no, it was not. It was. I feel like that Alabama team had more 
defensive touchdowns than like most teams did offensive. No, <laughs> it was Arizona State in 2020. Oh, of yeah, of course. Yeah, how could I forget? <laughs> Herm Edwards. Well, how many games did they play that year? Three. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. They only played four games. Yeah, okay. So that doesn't even count. I guess yeah, I should eliminate that from the rules entirely. I think right. Antonio the, Pierce was the DC on that one. <laughs> the point being, I think that history would suggest USC is in for a world of turnover hurt in, in the yeah. final eight games of the season because everybody in the history of college football, at least of the last 10 years, which is what CFB stats can tell us, has lived that experience. Like they may finish plus 1.3 or something and lead the nation in turnovers, but from here on out, it's probably going to be even like if they were even the rest of the way, they would still have an awesome turnover margin right. in, in the final accounting uh, of that. So if you said I just, they avoid Washington and Oregon, you know, like yeah, it's a good obviously point. that trip to Utah is tough, but I you might be able to survive that one. Like as yeah. far as making the playoff, you know, Colorado's the worst team in the country. Oh yeah, Cal, we saw awful. Cal. They're not going to challenge him offensively. Although Jaden not at 274 yards against uh, exactly Arizona last yeah. week. One week also, after you know, another on the like that looks weird in retrospect. Holding Jaden not to like 30 yards. Right, um, he's only a freshman too. I didn't know. That. Yeah, he's outstanding. So I, you know, I'll go with Notre Dame closing out with a win. So they lose <sighs> at Clemson, finish nine and three. Uh, that would be a what a nine and one finish, which is like making me uncomfortable when I say it out loud because that's a lot of wins in a short amount of time. But how do they beat? How, how do they beat USC? You, you give me a lot of like, oh well, historically, like <laughs> I think that USC's lines are not good. Um, Fair. I I think that you could play a similar game plan to Ohio State, but do a lot better job of it because your lines are good. Um, this is all un- like if Drew Pine gets hurt, forget it. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm just saying, like as they're currently yeah, yeah. constructed, if no one yeah, gets yeah. hurt the rest of the way, which is not what's going to happen, um, I think Notre Dame at the back end of the defense, especially with Tariq Bracy, like very rarely have I thought Notre Dame's secondary was actually a strength of what they were doing, and I think the way it's constructed right now, they're doing a pretty nice job of it. Uh, the defensive line is not going to get worse. From here, I think they should get better. Is you know Riley Mills, Howard Cross, um, you know Foskey is again making money with his play uh, after kind of not really being there for the first couple of weeks of the season. So, like, I mean, yeah, that gets you back to nine and three, which gets a return to what we started the show with. Like, what a whiplash vibe this entire season has had, where you feel like one week, oh, they can go ten and two to like. Wait a minute, are they even going to make it to six and six? But I do think it finishes nine and three with a win at USC. I predict the offseason hype for Marcus Freeman next year will be even bigger than it was this past year. That I mean, that will be interesting. I think so much of that will depend on did you finish the deal in recruiting or not? Because last year sure. at this time, it was like, oh, recruiting, that's a sure thing. And then the class got off to like the number one start, yada, yada. Uh, it sputtered a little bit. You know, Keon Keeley decommits. Marcus Freeman is actually in Dallas now, I think, as we record this on a Friday afternoon to see Peyton Bowen, who's like kind of a fringe five-star prospect safety. Uh, I've written about him. Great fit for Notre Dame. His quarterback is a five-star. He's going to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is really involved. AM is really involved. Um, they're going to have a fight to keep him. So 
it's if they if the recruiting class ends with losing Keeley and losing Bowen, you know, really good receiver class. Charles Jagasaw, the offensive tackle from Northwest Illinois, very very good. But I think it will feel old, it won't feel different enough from a Brian Kelly class. I think for people to sort of get carried away with the hype. But if they finish nine and one and beat USC, then that's happening. Like I, I think then I think you would sort of have that hype go through. But the re- the recruiting part of it, I think, is fascinating because that was such a huge calling card of Freeman's early on and sort of carried the entire summer in a lot of ways. And I, and it's kind of sputtered a little bit since then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're making new offers at running back. I don't know what that says about how they feel about Jeremiah Love, who's the four-star back from the St. Louis area, who's a really, really good prospect. Um, would be, I think, as highly rated a, a running back to sign with Notre Dame since Greg Bryan in 2013. So that's goes back away in terms of the running backs Notre Dame has chased down. So, if but if they can hold on to Bowen, get Love, finish nine and three with a win over USC, then yeah, I think then then you're getting into the the Marcus Freeman hype train will have replaced its axles after the Marshall game and will again be leaving the station for a nine month off season. Just wait till the school figures out you can do NIL now too. They might actually Oof. like recruit even better. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've got nine and three. I've got seven and five. So they're guaranteed to finish eight and four. I think that much is clear. Uh, then we'll all come down to the turnovers forced over under bet that we had. There we go. There we go. Uh, how are you spending your bye weekend? Uh, so bye weekend, got some MSA soccer. Anyone in the Michiana area can appreciate the uh, show that that youth soccer organization is here so that saturday morning there's um there's a ferris wheel that has been set up in south bend that'll be going on tonight um li- like yeah like on writing hope, hope, okay yeah hopefully i'll be lifted the, the tail. <laughs> um and then i think i will actually be attending a notre dame sporting event uh with tate there's uh the men's soccer team plays tonight i'm not sure who they're playing but i know that they're playing and the weather is awesome so that might be it and then yeah that's Probably if I can find some time to watch Michigan, Iowa, I would really like to check that one out as well. So, and you, you say that, and then you'll watch Iowa's offense for two quarters and your eyes will start bleeding. And you're like, I saw this weeks one and two in South. Bend, and yeah. I'll be like, Tate, I've we got to get to your soccer game, man. We got to get some extra practice in. I don't need to watch this crap. Fair what do you got? Any street, what street not, fest, apple picking? Yeah, actually yeah, not apple picking, but apple fest is actually going on in Lincoln square this weekend. So we will, Ooh. uh, we'll be there. Probably not tonight, but we'll be there at some point this weekend. Yeah, it's a game. So Michigan, Iowa's this weekend. I'm intrigued by that one. I would like to watch, but I will not stay up for Oregon Stanford just to sort of see it. And then obviously the NC State Clemson game um, is a 7:30 sort of game day primetime game. Also, thankful that uh, Notre Dame is not playing in the Carolinas this weekend, as they often are uh, the mm-hmm. first weekend of October, because that uh, is a mess down there. Definitely um, sending some good vibes to. Our listeners in the, the South, particularly Florida, after the events of this week. So hopefully it'll be a, a low-key weekend and Notre Dame will not make any news on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Um, That'd be good. And then That'd we be good check, for everybody. Yeah, and then we can check in next week and get ready for our trip to Vegas. Um, 
I know we had talked about maybe having somebody from the gambling industry on our podcast next week. I think we should still make that happen, right? Is much, much more gettable than Dan Orlovsky. Oh uh, well, the, the well, we we're aiming high for next week, although it's not looking good from what our sources tell us. We will have at least one one um, big time domer uh, who's out in Vegas right now. Might have another. Not holding my breath on that one, but uh, you guys will like it. We'll have a guest who will give you the lay of the land out there, gambling and otherwise uh, for Irish fans. Think you guys will like it, and yeah, who doesn't love a, a trip to Vegas? I'm looking forward to it. I can't believe you're actually going to your kids' play and not getting to Vegas a night early. Like, what kind of? <laughs> How are you gonna explain to yourself? <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, so it means I'll be going to a show. It just won't be a Vegas show. Vegas show. Um, okay. It'll be more of like a uh, yes. A, I, I'm not even gonna describe the show to our listeners because it would put them to sleep if they're still listening. But um, <laughs> I will be on that Thursday night and then Friday morning on a flight to Vegas. You get in there Friday night, so we'll have to connect uh, sleep, so, yeah. at some point. I think we're both staying at the same same hotel, but connect not to the point that. Uh, we don't make it to the game on four at four thirty local time on Saturday. Maybe uh, it's gonna be a struggle for some Notre Dame fans. And God bless you if it, if you're one of those. I, I'm looking forward to. Um, I guess I lived on the West Coast when I was like a baby, but like I, I, the the idea of like living a lifestyle where you can wake up and have live college football on at nine a.m. is just like the coolest thing in the world to me. Um, and I look forward to um, relishing in that next Saturday in Vegas. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. So we will be back next week with at least one show. And then Matt and I will be in person um, in Vegas for post game BYU a week from Saturday. Um, hopefully they don't put Alabama A&M on the, on the same time slot as Notre Dame BYU. So we can sneak some looks at that too. So oh, that one's that's, is that set? That's a CBS night game. Yeah. Mm, all right. Well, Gonna have to be split strings. You make sure you bring your iPad, please. Uh, uh, the, the I, I think Notre Dame BYU is going to be a more competitive game. I will say that. <laughs> I just want to see if Nick Saban murders Jimbo Fisher. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all off the field action there. So we'll be back next week and next Saturday. We hope all of our listeners enjoy your bye week, uh, a stress free Saturday. Um, after the last four weeks, you've earned it. Um, and Matt and I have earned it as well. So until then, thanks for being with us on the latest episode of Fishing. <laughs>